Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 27. This episode was our third live podcast and our second annual live podcast from Edmonton. It was recorded Thursday, May 9th, 2019. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, our sixth of 2019, we were joined by Jen Pantaluk, CEO of Junior Achievement Northern Alberta, Mike House, CEO of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation in Edmonton, Jane Potentia, Assistant Dean Advancement for the Faculty of Arts at the University of Alberta, and Tony Myers, Principal of Myers & Associates. Our topic, Life and Career Hacks, Part 1. What would I tell my 20-year-old fundraising self if I could go back in time? Join us in conversation with four authentic humans as they share what has worked for them, what gets them up in the morning, and what life lessons they have learned the hard and the easy way. It's time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. Welcome to episode 27 of Brain Trust Philanthropy Powered by Vitreo. This is our sixth episode of 2018. It is also our second annual live podcast event in Edmonton. Woo! Welcome to our studio here at Edmonton at the beautiful Chateau Louis Conference Center. Thanks for coming out to be with us. Our topic today, life and career hacks. What would I tell my 20-year-old fundraising self if I could go back in time? We have four terrific guests with us today, all accomplished leaders and fundraisers. They're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. My phone's excited to be here. Um, let's get started. Joining us from Junior Achievement, Northern Alberta, we have Jen Pantelek. This is Jen's first appearance on our panel. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Yay! <laughs> we'll do clapping. Um, Jen and I first met a few years ago. Jen was with Ronald McDonald House then. We were both helping out Atco Gas with one of their annual community symposiums. I think we spent two full days together in Peace River uh, and in Bonneville. Since then, Jen has been busy. She has worked with Mike at the Stollery and is currently the CEO of Junior Achievement Northern Alberta. But that is going to change soon as well. Uh, Jen, you've been given an amazing opportunity, both personally and professionally, to help bring a world-class event to Edmonton. Can you share with us just what that event is, your role in it, and why you're leaving JA to take it on? For sure. So uh, for those that are not triathletes, the 2020 World Triathlon Championships are coming to Edmonton in 2020. And I was approached about joining the leadership team to help bring that and make it a reality for the city. Uh, this will be the third time Edmonton has hosted the Triathlon World Championships, and it's, it's a pretty big deal. Um, there'll be... Somewhere in the ballpark of thirty-five to 4,000 athletes coming from around the world um, to not only race in Edmonton, but to experience all our city has to offer. And I'll uh, be overseeing all things to do with the athlete experience. Um, so basically, the minute they register, they land here in Edmonton and all the way through the state until they get back on that plane home um, and everything in between. So um, big role. And why I'm leaving is I have been a triathlete Oh goodness, this is my 15th season I'm going into and always been a huge passion of mine. So taking a, a step away from reality and taking on a passion project and something that I've, I've loved and to be able to combine kind of like my business skills with um, the sport that I'm so in love with is, yeah, just a dream come true. So I'm tired just thinking about it. Um, uh, thanks, Jen. Now, are you going to be able to compete? Yeah, that was the one disclaimer when I uh, accepted the job was I, if I qualify, that was the big thing. You still have to qualify to compete, but if I qualify, I already have my role covered off by some friends who said they would volunteer so I could race. <laughs> Jen's going, uh, I, I like this opportunity, but can I, can I compete? Um, thanks, Jen. Also joining us this morning is Tony Myers. Uh, Tony is a returning guest to our podcast. Tony first joined us on episode 13 back in season two. The topic was Evidence Matters, Why the Nonprofit Sector Needs to Embrace Research. Uh, Tony, joining you on that podcast then was Kathy Mann, John Gormley, and Bloomerang's Jay Love. It was a terrific episode, so welcome back, Tony. Thank you, Vince. Tony, you and I have been friends and colleagues for my entire fundraising career, uh, even before that, actually. 
You have and continue to be a mentor to me and to many others in this room and beyond. And I know you take that role quite seriously. You will be sharing lots of advice with us later in the podcast, but I wonder if you might take a minute or two to share with us what, what mentoring and being a mentor means to you. Ooh. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. I know. That's why I like to do it. It's the most important work I do. Um, it, it, um, it means everything to me. Um, I'm probably the oldest one in the room and um, have the least amount of time left. And which is true, which is true, which is true. It just <laughs> are you going to make it through the podcast? <laughs> Jeepers, man! I, I mean, you really threw me with that question, but it is—it is the most important work I do. It is uh, my goal, and and you know this, Vincent, and maybe that's why you hit me with this. But my goal in life is 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 to give it all away. I mean, I want to give it all away. I don't want to leave this earth and have any knowledge left. I want. I don't have. Want to leave this earth and have any experience left that I haven't been able to share with other people. I want to give it away, so that this profession can grow. So this, um, so philanthropy can grow in Alberta and in in, in all the places I work in the world. So uh, mentoring means everything to me in the sense that it is a, a, a mission, a life mission, to give it all away. All this hard earned experience and knowledge and. And, and a little bit of expertise that I've gained over, over, over all these years just to be able to share it with others so that they can succeed as well. And so our profession can succeed, so philanthropy can succeed um, in, in, in Edmonton, in Alberta, in Canada, and, and in all the places around the world where I live. What well, a, you well, sure threw me on that. Oh, sorry, one, Tony, <laughs> but I, I, I know that that's a, a special thing about you. Any of you who've had the chance to be mentored by Tony would know that, and if you haven't, Take the opportunity. It's a really beautiful experience to to spend time with Tony. I think you'd agree, Mike. You've had a chance to to to, be, to do that as well. Yeah, Tony was my uh, my personal coach when I became CEO for over two years, and uh, we would meet on a regular basis. And he was my he was my mentor, my friend, my guidepost, uh, my critic, my enthusiast. It was it was it was really really special. Well, thanks for that. Thanks, Tony, for, for, uh, for, for making do with a, a surprise question like that. Our third panelist is Jane Potenche with the University of Alberta. Like Tony, Jane is not a stranger to our podcast. Jane visited us way back in season one. Uh, you were part of a panel that included Tom Barakoff. Some of you know Tom, Andrew McManus, and Sherilyn Hale. The topic was the future of fundraising and philanthropy. Welcome back, Jane. Thank you for having me. Uh, Jane and I have known each other almost as long as Tony and I have known each other. Jane and I worked together when she first came to the U of A, and we both served on the AFP Edmonton board back in the 2000s, I think, and beyond. Fun times. Jane, I know you have some things to share with us related to today's topic, but before we get to that, some of us know that you've embraced a seemingly crazy fitness regime in the last few years. Uh, I am speaking, of course, about CrossFit. I am personally in awe of what a workout badass you are. Um, but can you tell us a little bit what brought you to CrossFit and why, dear God, why do you love it so much? <laughs> um, oh, good grief. Um, so what brought me to CrossFit uh, was kind of a journey around really about health initially. And it wasn't really about CrossFit at all. It was just around getting fit and healthy. And um, it's sort of related to some other conversation we're going to have later. But mental health and physical health so important to me. Um, and I was dabbling with other things, um, just regularly going to the gym and uh, thinking that I was working out until I tried CrossFit when I found out what really working out is like. Um, but really, um, what actually got me through the door of a CrossFit gym, and I'll explain what CrossFit is in case anyone doesn't know in a second, but it is a little intimidating because when, if you have ever seen what CrossFit is about, it's a combination of gymnastics and weightlifting and a uh, bunch of various moves of different things, logging heavy things around and uh, hanging from bars and all kinds of things. And it's kind of crazy, as Vincent says, so I was really intimidated. But what actually got me through the door was what was called a women wine and ward night, which tells you all you need to know about me. Um, 
So a bunch of women got together, drank some wine, and did a wad, which is a workout of the day, which was really a very light workout. But that was what got me through the door. And that really speaks to what CrossFit really is about as well, which is community. And it's the the thing that uh, the reason that I keep going back and why I really love it, aside from the fact that it really does. I am really much fitter than I was, um, is the encouragement and the community feel of CrossFit. It's a really encouraging environment. Everything is tailored and scaled to whether your ability, um, so you can be lifting a a plastic rod next to someone who's lifting 300-pound weights, and and it's all equal, and uh, and it's very community-minded too, so we give back to the community through CrossFit too. So that's why I really love it, and I'll keep going for as long as I can keep going. Thanks, Jane. Yeah. I, uh, I think the wine bit caught a lot of our attention. <laughs> that so was really something key. to think about. So <laughs> thank you for that. And, and last but not least, we have from the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation, Mike House. Like Jen, this is Mike's first time on our podcast, although he has been a guest on other podcasts uh, before. Mike, we've been trying to have you on our podcast for a while now, and I'm so happy we were able to make today happen. So welcome, Mike. Thank you. Like the rest of the panel, Mike and I have known each other for a long time. In recent years, Mike and I, along with Jane, have served together on the AFP Foundation for Philanthropy Canada. Mike, thanks again for your service to the profession. We really appreciate that. Um, Mike, your commitment to education is impressive. You have an MBA. You've earned your CFRE. You did that in 2001. And you have something that is relatively rare in the nonprofit sector, uh, your Institute of Corporate Directors designation. I'm wondering if you can share with the audience what that designation is, how you got it, and how it's made a difference in your career. Ah, great. I I was worried that you were going to ask me something that was going to make me cry like Tony, so that's that's better. Uh, So the Institute of Corporate Directors is a a nonprofit organization uh, in Canada that really speaks to excellence in governance in both profit uh, corporations, public and private, uh, as well as nonprofit organizations, and um, uh, it's very expensive, uh, but you can get a job grant to pay for part of it, uh, and it takes a whole year, um, and it teaches you about the different elements of governance. And the reason why I decided to take it uh, is I, I actually took it with my board chair, uh, as at the Stollery. At the Stollery, yeah, yeah. Yep. So the board chair and I took it together. Uh, there were forty people in the in the group. Uh, there were. People that were deputy ministers, there were CEOs, there were uh, people who were chairing um, uh, agencies, boards, and, and other kinds of groups uh, from the government. Um, and it, it, it really crystallized for me how to be better at my job as a CEO, understanding the board perspective, uh, whereas most people take the course uh, because they want to serve on boards. Uh, so I think it's given me a uh, 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 an appropriate advantage to navigate through the tricky waters as chairs change every couple of years and and creating a, a string of consistency of, of governance throughout because I, I hope to be at the Stollery for a long time. Great. Well, thank you for that. I, I brought that up because it, uh, I was a little bit jealous when I saw the designation. I've been wanting to do that for a long time, so I wanted you to tell me more about it. And so I was selfishly asked on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Um, Thank you again for joining us on this, our 27th podcast. Today's topic, life and career hacks. What I would tell my 20-year-old fundraising self if I could go back in time. Everyone on our editorial team was very excited with the possibilities for this topic. I, for one, have always enjoyed listening to life lessons from my friends and colleagues. It's how I learn. Uh, hearing what worked or didn't reminds me of what is important and helps re-energize my personal and professional practice. I hope it does the same for you as well. For those of you who have listened to our podcast, we don't follow the typical panel format. Instead, I try to facilitate a conversation. So if you see one of us respectfully talking over or interrupting another, uh, that's exactly what we're going for. Um, so uh, so that, that's really important. You're going to hear from all of our guests during the next 50 minutes or so. You will also have a chance to participate at around uh, 29 or even during the podcast itself. Uh, I'll be pausing the conversation to take your questions, your comments, and observations. As a reminder, um, to end up on the podcast, you need to use the microphone. To end up, uh, uh, as I said, uh, you're going to need that microphone. Um, if you have something to say during the podcast, including any time, please do put up your hand. And maybe, Ryan, you can help with the microphone if you need to to, to get there. For now, let's get this conversation started, and I can think of no one better to kick this off than Jane Potentier. 
Jane, can you start us off? If you could go back in time, what would you tell your 20-year-old uh, fundraising self? Which, by the way, I want to clarify, was only five years ago. <laughs> was, was and apparently for Tony was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks, 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 Ray, for pointing out that that was about 75 years ago. Yeah. Jane? I was so waiting for that predictable comment from Mike House. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for putting me on the spot as the first person to, uh, to respond to that. I have to admit, I, I changed it up. I was going to go with Mike, but then I thought, no, it's got to be Jane. Okay. You prepared so much. I did prepare. Oh, my goodness. No, well, uh, actually, a couple of things that I did do, um, um, which actually is related to one, one of the points that I would make, is I reached out to a couple of colleagues and asked them the, the question, too, because I think that's an important um, lesson learned, is that we can't do this thing on our own. And... Uh, the really that you're not on your own um, and that you do need to seek help and know what you don't know and figure that out and, and reach out for support um, and help uh, along the way. And I think um, I found that when I got here to Edmonton, I found that community in the sense that um, AFP was one of the first places that I reached out for in terms of my career when I moved from the UK to here. But it wasn't something that I was necessarily very good at doing when I was starting out. I figured I had to have all the answers and get it all sorted and try and chart my own path and didn't really reach out for the help. But once I came to Edmonton, it was kind of forced on me because I didn't know anyone. Um, and I just think that's a really good lesson is that um, help is out there, support is out there, and people and reach out for support and Actually, to the point of earlier of t people like Tony, mentorship. Find a mentor. Find people to help you. All right. I know you have lots more to say. Does anyone do. else want to start weighing in, or do you? are you on a roll? No. Weigh in. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Just I'll drink it. my coffee. Okay. Jen, I could see you looking, thinking. Thank you. I, yeah, well, I, was, I completely agree with um, what Jane had to say, and I, I think... You know, I was really for fortunate early on to have some amazing mentors to get me to where I am today. And I think to build on what Jane has said is um, also not being afraid to take those opportunities when they're presented to you. So say yes. You know, maybe it's not in your job description, but someone, you know, presents something to you. And so take that leap and know that you might not have all the answers, um, but you can figure it out along the way. You can ask really great questions. And clearly that person saw something in you and they felt that you had that ability to take on this new challenge. So I think that was a big thing I would have told my 20-year-old self was say yes when an opportunity is presented to you, even if you may not know exactly how to, to do it or exactly what that's going to look like as it unfolds. But if you say yes and then figure it out along the way, it usually uh, means good things. You keep reading these articles that say learn how to say no. You're saying say yes. Yes, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe say yes to all the good stuff yeah. and no to all the bad stuff. How do, you, how do you tell the difference? I don't know. Mike, you might know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Tell us what you do know. Uh, okay, so full disclosure, very authentic, very, uh, very uh, vulnerable. Uh, my 20s were horrible. I wish somebody had sat me down and told me something uh, because it was a wasteland of mistakes and missed opportunities and everything else. But it kind of comes back to the first piece of advice that I would tell myself, which is to actually get to know who I am. Actually get to know and really think, be intentional about thinking about what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, which actually is a long list. What do I hate doing? What do I love to do? What are some of my blind spots? So for example, do I procrastinate? Uh, well, when I was younger, I surely did. Do I take criticism well? Not really. Um, do I love networking or do I hate networking? I love networking. So focus on the things I was really good at, but also understand the things that I'm bad at. And that's where Jane's advice kind of comes into play is ask for help to try to improve some of those things. The more that I uh, got to know who I was as a person and the strengths and weaknesses that I had, uh, the better I could start to think about um, you know, my plan for the future. And one of the things that I really stumbled on getting to know myself uh, that I would sort of add as an adjunct is know what my values are. Um, because actually, if you have a simple list of values, they become guideposts for all the decisions you make. 
uh, good or bad, especially if you don't know what you're doing, which in my case, raise my hand, a lot of times I didn't know what I was doing. But I did know what my values were by the time that I got to be 30. And uh, as a result of that, my, the course correction that I needed to take in my world actually happened. And I feel now that I am in the exact right spot, doing the exact right things with the right intentionality because I took the time to do that. But I did not do that in my 20s. I did that sort of later after I figured it out. Thanks, Mike. I was a little worried. You started off on a bit of a downer there. Right? No, but, but actually... I but think, you, you, brought, you, you brought it out of the fire, buddy. But I, I actually think, I think you know, like, being, being vulnerable about saying, like, we're not perfect. I mean, there, there is this veneer about you're the CEO of a successful organization. Wow, you must be, you know, must have it all together. Well, I know uh, is the answer. And the fact that there's a journey that it takes to get you to where you're going and you're still on this journey, I want people to know that because I, I think I think sometimes people just see the outside and they go, well, yeah, it looks like a really good, really good deal. And there's lots and lots of scars and lots of lots of great learning opportunities. Are you familiar with the concept of the imposter syndrome? I am. Right. I am. Uh, yeah. I, I, and uh, Do you want to tell people what it, what what it means to you or what? You're... Sure. Yeah. So the. <laughs> First, yeah. admit that you are one. So, yeah. well, I, I I feel like I used to be. I don't think I am anymore. Exactly. But but, but the imposter syndrome idea is the fact that um, you never think that you're as good to deserve the opportunities or the or the the good fortune that you have, and so you're always pushing yourself down. You're always sort of, you know, sabotaging yourself, when in fact, you, all the rest of the world sees the amazing stuff that's going on and. And you just need to accept it. And and uh, but I think that's where my like when I talk about values, just once you believe in the values that you believe in and you can define them, uh, then you get the confidence that you need. Uh, but I you know I've got two teenage girls I'm trying to you know share that with, and it's easier said than done. So well, thanks for sharing that with us, Mike. And I love that you talked about uh, how important values were. Tony, you've been sitting back, you've been listening, probably writing a few things down. Did I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do. So let, let me tell you a story because it, I think the best learnings are always in a story. I was um, Tell us a story, Tony. I'm, I'm going to do that, Vinny. I was at St. Mary's University in Minnesota, and it goes to some things that Mike said. And, and um, um, I, I had a, a young woman come up to me, and, um, and, and uh, uh, she came up to me and, and uh, stopped me in an alcove, and she was really intense and really serious. And she said, Tony, I have to talk to you. And, and, and I was one of the older people in the class, so I, it wasn't, I, I was approached a number of different times of people that wanted to talk. So she said, Tony, said, when I, she was a, a young woman about early 30s of, of black and Chinese heritage. And um, she said, Tony, when I go ask people for money, I feel like a little black girl coming to beg. I thought, oh, my God. That must be awful, I mean, to feel that way. And, you know, you talk about getting to know yourself, Mike, and, and how this person was struggling to get to know herself and how important that was as part of the journey of becoming, a, I think, a good fundraiser, that, that critical aspect. And, 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 I, and my response to her was, oh, oh my God, uh, her name was KD. I said, KD, if that's the way you feel, that's the way you come across. And then I went, oh, my God, there's a black girl in me. There's part of me that I don't know. And my goal in life was to be able to be in a successful major donor fundraiser, to be able to sit across from a millionaire or a billionaire and to be able to look them straight in the eye and say and ask them and invite them to participate in the charity or nonprofit or cause that I was working in. And I realized that if I didn't come to grips with that thing inside me that made me or caused me not to be everything that I could be, then I couldn't do that. I wouldn't be able to sit across from a billionaire and have an argument with them and disagree with them and invite them to give a million or two million or ten million or twenty or a hundred. And so I had to go home that year and 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 come to grips with that thing inside me, those those things inside me that those skeletons I hadn't dealt with. I had to get to know who I was 
and what what made me tick and how I needed to come to grips with the good and the bad. And I was able to do that. With the help of my wife, I was able to do that. It took me a year to do that, but I was able to do that and go back next year and break through my own glass ceiling. So when we talk about what to tell our 20-year-old self, it is I can't agree more, Mike, it's to get to know who we are. It's to get to know who we are, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and what we want, and, and to never, ever, ever, ever give up, and to never, ever fail to follow our heart. Is when we follow our heart, we become full. When we follow our heart and do what we want to do, we do our best work. When we follow our heart and do what we want to do, we do our best work and we're recognized. When we're recognized, we, we grow and we develop and we get more opportunities. So all that's to say, follow your heart is my number one piece of advice I would give to somebody younger. And in, in doing that, get to know yourself and what your values are because it's, it's, it's never about the money. It's never about the money. It's all about the values. And when you understand the values, the money will follow. Thanks, Tony. I'm not sure if that's Tony Myers or Tony Robbins. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Jane, did I see a look on your face that you wanted to, to, I, to chime I, in? Yeah, sure. So first thing I want to say is every time I ever, ever talk to Tony, listen to Tony, my, talk about following your heart, my heart jumps out of my chest. Like, you're amazing. And everything you ever say, just like really... Uh, amazing and emotional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so somehow through that, though, I just—I mean, there's two threads that I that I kind of picked up on in in both of these these convers- in this conversation so far. One is authenticity. Um, there's a lot in there around. I mean, very clearly around being yourself. And I think we're very um, conditioned to to try to be something else and. Um, Especially when we're working with donors and uh, the, the prospective donors that we're working with, that they can see right through it if you're not authentic and if you're not yourself. And ta- finding your own narrative and your own um, way of expressing um, the 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 mission of the organization or the the things that we want to go there and talk about that's important it's but it's about being you and that authenticity part. The other part that I heard from both of you is that. It takes time, and so when you so there's a piece here around that whole. This is not this in fundraising in general, in our lives in general. It things don't happen overnight. They take time to work on. They take time to develop. Um, whether it's ourselves that we're developing, but it's also think about that in terms of fundraising. And it's not a short-term game. It's a very long-term game, and it's cliche. Is it, it going to take as long it? as Tony has lived? Potentially in some cases, yeah. It seems like a long time. So I think there's something in there, and maybe you guys can build on that a bit, but I feel like there's that that need and that urgency around we've got to get results right now and personally feeling that, um, you know, wanting to achieve quickly and... uh, and be, be successful quickly, whatever that means. Well, thinking about in fundraising terms, I think success is something that you build over time and um, both personally, professionally, it's something you build over time and in terms of the relationships and the success that you will bring to your organizations. Have the long game in mind. That's awesome. I noticed, I think, Ryan, you mentioned there, there was a question or there might be a question in there or you have a question? I have the question, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, There's the... no questions from you. Let's keep going. <laughs> Ryan, what's your question? Um, so I, I think this is absolutely fantastic so far and I, I just want to ask the question around making big changes in your life. I know I was surprised to hear that Jen is leaving uh, JA but obviously onto something that she's very passionate about and very excited about. And Mike talked about you know, his floundering in his 20s. And I feel like maybe when you're younger, you have a little bit more uh, flexibility in kind of choosing your path. But as we kind of progress through our careers, we're always other things come up. And and you might be your own biggest critic when you want to make, make a change and, I guess, fo- do what you're good at and follow your dreams and all of that stuff. Um, so my question for you is, or for the panel, is as you've made those big changes and now you're, you're in a, feeling like you're in a spot where you're doing what you want to do and you're feeling good about it, Obviously, you can't just do that alone um, because, like I said, you're always your biggest critic sometimes. So can you elaborate at all on what other things in your life maybe needed to come together or to make you feel comfortable enough to make that move, make that change, uh, not, not only for yourself, but maybe for your family or, or other Great people Great question, life? Ryan. Who wants to take that one on? I'll start. I'll start. Okay. Um, uh, Ryan, the biggest thing for me, the, the change is, is back to what I said earlier, is follow your heart. 
when whenever uh, you know I, I laugh because I lived all all the way across the country and, and and from almost coast to coast and 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 people say well why'd you move so much I say I couldn't keep a job but that, I, that's I, true I, that's true he was fired a lot <laughs> we we all are sooner or later but but um, it, it it the key was to follow your heart and so the change was natural for me. Um, I always wanted to go to better. Uh, the grass is never greener. I would never say the grass is greener, but I always wanted to go to better. I always had this incredible aspiration to grow and to be the best person I could be. And 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 sometimes staying stationary is not the way to do that. For me, it wasn't. For some people, it is. But for me, it wasn't. So change was not difficult for me to take on. It was difficult to do. So if your question is then, how did I get through it or what happened? I followed my heart. Mm. I followed my heart. I did what I wanted to do. God, how lucky am I? And by doing that, by doing that, an experimentation that occurred, and, and you said, you know, it takes a long time to find out, you know, who you are or what you want to do. I, I didn't find this till I was in my late 40s. I didn't come to fundraising full that was time. Half, half a century ago. <laughs> until I was in, in my late 40s. But, but when I got here, oh my God, when I got here, and as Mike said earlier, you know, your heart sings when you find out what you're supposed to do. And you excel when you find out what you're supposed to do. And so for me, I'm so lucky. I found out at some point in my life what I'm supposed to do. And this is what I'm supposed to do. Awesome. So the change has not been hard. All right, Mike, you, were, you, had your, you, you kind of snuck in, but then Tony took over. So you're over I would you. always defer to Tony anyways. It's no big deal. Uh, uh, Ten years before I got the job, at the Stollery, uh, my wife and I were sitting in our apartment. We were recently engaged, and she asked me, you know, sitting over a glass of wine, "What would you like to do? What would you? What would be your dream job?" And I told her I'd work at the Stollery, and she said, "Well, what would you do there?" And I said, "I'd be the CEO." This is ten years before I got the job. I think that there is some when you're when you're thinking about change, intentionality is a really, really important thing. Uh, and, and you have to say it out loud, and you have, to, you have to sort of stick your neck out a little bit and say, this is what I want. But in t- determining what I wanted, I actually took, uh, I, I, I took a bit of time in, in the middle of my, in the early 30s, to figure out what it is that I, what I really want. And there's this model of happiness, which is what we're all trying to accomplish, uh, out of Japan called Ikagi, I think I said it right. Uh, and it's pronounced, uh, or it's spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. So I'll take a look at it on the website or whatever. But it basically takes four things. It, it takes what you love to do, uh, what you're really good at doing, um, what uh, you'll do that will make you money, because for me that was important. I want to feed my family, and I want to have a career, and I want to retire at some point. And I want to also have a job that gives back to the world in some way, shape, or form. And then I thought about what all those four things come together, what for me, aligning with my values, would be the perfect job. And that's why I said the Stollery. So then the second step is, well, you're not going to go from A to B. I'm going to have to think about what steps I'm going to need to take in between. I went back to school and got my MBA. That took five years. Uh, I repositioned sort of what kind of work I'm doing and what my expertise was. I saw weaknesses based upon that job about what expertise I need to build up. And I took time to to build that up. So that when the opportunity came, I was in the right spot at the right time. But I had been thinking about that for for a decade. And, uh, And that's sort of the culmination of being intentional, being patient, really understanding myself. Uh, and maybe that's not the way that everybody changes because sometimes change is thrust upon you for sure. But in my current career, that's, that's how I got here. And I'm going to take a totally different like, side of it. So I have not had my life as planned out as Mike when it comes to the idea of change. Um, Remember, my 20s, a complete... <laughs> Tire fire. Dumpster fire. It was a dumpster fire, and I was hoping that it would come up, right? Because last year, someone else was a dumpster fire. This year, Mike, you are the dumpster fire. I am that guy. You were. You were the dumpster fire. I was that guy. Sorry, Jeff. No, no. We had to to get dumpster fire in. No. It's a thing. Absolutely. Okay, I'll try to weave it in somehow. Um, (laughs) 
it's something I guess I was thinking just back to a class I taught recently, like a junior achievement program. And one of the the pieces that we were talking about, because these students are in grade nine and they're so stressed about what they're going to do with their life because they need to like take the right courses next year so they can get into the right program in university and, you know, like the whole process. So um, the one thing I said to them is, you know, it's okay that you don't have everything figured out when you're in grade nine. It's actually okay when you're in university to not have everything figured out yet. I look at my career and I uh, I definitely wasn't the person who said this is, well, I said at some point I wanted to be a CEO of a not-for-profit and I kind of put that out there, but everything else that's kind of happened in between or where I'm going now, I definitely didn't have a roadmap planned, but I've always been willing to say yes to the right opportunity and sometimes take that risk. So to your point, Ron, I think a lot of people are surprised. They're like, what? You're leaving JA? Like you've been there for a while. It's like a full-time role. You're taking this contract. But that's where my passion is. And so kind of where everyone's been talking about like following your heart. Um, I know where my passion lies and I know I do my best work and I really excel when I'm doing something that I'm passionate about. I have, you know, been extremely passionate about JA for the last almost five years, but triathlon has been, I don't know, like it's just, it's my thing. It's what I do. It's, you know, I didn't even take a season off when my daughter was born. Cause like, it's just, it's, it's just a part of who I am. And Thanks, like, you tell me, <laughs> yeah, well, and it's cool. Like you're now like, I'm so passionate. My daughter's going to do it when she was three, she had her first kids a steel race. And so I think sometimes you just have to follow that passion and you know, you might not have that roadmap all figured out, but that's okay. And like, just don't be afraid of that change and just be willing to, you know, take that leap with two feet and, and take a risk sometimes. And yeah, it'll all work out. It always does. <laughs> So I tell my husband, it'll all work out. <laughs> you know, Jen, it's part of it is, uh, and, and back to your question earlier, Ryan, about how do you make the change, it's about having the courage to face the fear. There's nobody who makes change and is, is not afraid. Um, I can tell you. <laughs> I, I, and, and the imposter syndrome we talked about earlier, about, about, about going beyond where, where you thought you, you could go, not being stupid about it, being reasonable, but going beyond where you thought you could go. And never, never stop trying to reach to, 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 to learn more and, and maybe to contribute more. I mean, I, I'm doing two jobs right now that, that I've never done before. And, and, and do I feel like an imposter? Yeah. And do I feel scared? Yeah. And is there fear involved in that? Yeah. And 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 as I sat there last night at eleven o'clock at my at my uh, trying to figure this out at at, at my uh, uh, kitchen uh, counter, um, I, I I was fearful. How do I? Am I? Is this right? So the other part of that change is is if I could add another point, and 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 I know that you experienced the same thing, in 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 the work that you've done, Jen, and in particularly in the in the triathlete area is that you need to go deep you can't do a triathlete without going deep uh, you can't be successful without going deep and i know jane does that in her work physically and mentally and and, and spiritually and so does mike that that you got to go deep and if you don't go deep then 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 your results are shallow <laughs> Ooh. And, and master has spoken and, 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 it's, and as funny as that is I, I need, I, it's not funny, it's good but it's, it is good but, but there's a, it's a little I, trite but it's it is trite, but let me tell you the trite there's a trite story to that I'm working in France about 15-20 about years ago I'm working in France and I was asked to come in and, and, and help some, some folks doing uh, major donor fundraising and so I sit down across the table with these it's a very small group, three or four people in this group and, and we're doing a, a kind of a mentoring session. And I, I'm sitting across, and, and, and this young woman who, who God bless her, uh, 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 said that she knows how to do it. Her boss told her how to do this, major donor fundraising asked, and she knows how to do it. And her answer was that you only had to know the words. You only need to know the words to ask. Didn't need any knowledge about the other person. You just need to put it out on the table and ask. There was no sense of, of any depth involved in that. It was the most shocking thing I've ever heard in fundraising. And, and it, it, it caused me to coin the phrase, if you want shallow results, then you have shallow knowledge. If you want to get deep results, then you need deep knowledge. And I talked to a fundraiser even, even this morning who, who, who was talking and sharing experience about a, a deep knowledge conversation that resulted in deep results. So it, it is a, a, a real challenge that we need to go deep 
it's not a shallow uh, activity. It's it's deep, and we got to be willing to face the fear, go forward, have the courage, and go deep. And when we go deep, we always we always find amazing, amazing things to happen. That's awesome. I love the humble brag. When I was working in France, <laughs> Jane, did you want to weigh in on any of that before we uh, we uh, we change gears and get some more on the table? I just um, add. I mean, the, one of the biggest changes, obviously, I made was moving from the UK to mm-hmm. to here. And people always say, "How did you, you know you came? I came without a job or or any knowing what I was do at all when I moved." So it wasn't. It was intentional in moving, but not with a particular plan in mind and it was so it's sort of to just reinforce what Jen said really it was um, having the confidence in myself that things would work out and that um, I have got things that I can bring and I don't and also not not really um, overthinking what on earth will I do it will be I will do something and we, we will build from there and that will be great and I think speaking to Tony's comments as you were talking and you went to the deep part. I think the fact that when we take on those things and we're worried, the fact that we're worried is the positive because we're thinking all the time about how we can show up, how we're showing up, how um, how we can improve, how we can be our best in whatever we take on. And if we weren't thinking about that, then we would have a problem. So that that thinking that can sometimes be overthinking is actually really a sign that we really care deeply about what we're going to do, but also that we we will we will we will you will succeed if you if you just mm-hmm. try something and go for it. So, I had forgotten. I was sitting at a table full of risk takers. It's awesome. It's really great. Um, any you know, if someone has other questions, feel free to step up to the mic. But with, without that, we're going to continue on with with some more of the thoughts from around the table. Um, Jane, I know you had some other notes there that you made and uh, some of them included things like, you know, how to release things from your environment, how to let things go. Yeah. So I think, well, there's there's a couple of things. I think, um, you know, we're really uh, trained to think or we we want to think that, for example, working with, working with, uh, with our donors or potential donors that you're building relationships that there's a lot of control built into that in the sense that we feel like the donors donors are in control of everything. Um, and sometimes those things just don't work out. And so the, the it's interesting. You look at life lessons. If you look at any of these articles that people talk about look, looking back on their what they would tell themselves, things like letting things go, um, it's okay to end relationships uh, when they're not working out, those kinds of things, they actually apply in the work that we do all the time too. And I don't know that we're... Oh, and again, we're, we're always as confident about those um, changes that we need to make or saying that uh, particularly in a donor relationship as fundraisers that some, if something's not right for the mission or the organization or there's some um, uh, you know, misalignment, shall we say, that it's okay to uh, walk away in certain circumstances from things that you may have built uh, and in fact, the success is in that, that that's the, that's the right thing to do. But I don't think that when I was, again, the younger self would have been ready to do that or to have that conversation or to say no to a gift or uh, those kinds of things. In fact, that's a conversation that I had to have with my dean when I walked into the Faculty of Arts five years ago. It was an, actually an interview question that I had. We have accepted some uh, gifts that we are not necessarily able to uh, to to work to to make work. What would you do if in the circumstances going forward? And it's around that that confidence to to be able to say no to things that. And I think that's a life lesson that people, like I say, the people often will bring up in general. But it definitely applies to our to our profession. So um, we should be okay with firing donors and board members. Right. Absolutely. Good. Yep. I, I want to pick up what you said, some things you said there, uh, and and maybe direct a, a question to Jen, if I could. One, oh, good. One one of the one of the one of the concerns I've had in my own uh, career, and in uh, is 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 when you are driven and push yourself, and and we've all pushed ourselves, and and sometimes we get close to the wall, 
and 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 so what do you do when that when that happens when and i wanted to ask as the oldest guy in the panel to ask the youngest person on the panel what they do when they 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 get close to the wall when they get close to crashing because when we when we really work hard that happens and so and i've seen and jen doesn't know this but i i worry about her because she is so driven because she's so hardworking, and there've been times in her life when, when I was quite frankly worried about her, and she doesn't know that. But but how do you then? It's only a little bit creepy. <laughs> but how, how how no professionally? I mean this. I meant that that way, Tony. I'm just yeah. throwing you under the bus. So how do you how do you deal with that, Jen? How do you deal with that when you get when you get that close to the wall? When you get, you know, when you're really pushing yourself to go, ooh, you know, there's that. How do you deal with those times? For me, I think it's like probably wise to go. It's it's finding that balance sometimes and having. How do you find a balance? Um, making sure you carve out time for yourself. Like even though now you know, I right now as a CEO, I'm also a mom of a toddler who is very busy and has a lot of her own things that she wants to do. Um, I selfishly take still take that time for me, um, and and I think that's that where triathlon has played such a huge role in my life is. Um, I actually will not sacrifice my training in a day. I have a schedule. I stick to it. I will find hours in the day if it means waking up at 4.30 in the morning or you know, training really late at night. But I, you, I need that outlet. And I think um, my, and one of the things I was thinking about as advice is, is figure out what your outlet is. And make sure that you make time for that. So if you're artistic and you need to be creative and it's like it's painting or it's music or if you're athletic and there's a sport, whatever it is, like find that one thing that you can hold on to and keep your own. And when life seems to be going crazy out of control and you're just kind of like, what am I doing? You know, you have that safe spot that you can go to and know that you can kind of find that balance and almost like that zen, I guess, to to. I don't know, recalibrate and, and get you focused again. That's good advice. My, uh, my 20-year-old self, uh, uh, it was Ben and Jerry's. I would not recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> don't go there. Find something better like what Jen said. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like <laughs> that was my 20s too. <laughs> Hi, I have a question. So we've been talking a lot about how we can make changes internally, and I think these are all good you know, how can we drive ourselves? How can we be the best person we can be? These are all great conversations. I just want to bring it to the larger frame of how can we have more of an impact on the world? So we know the world is at a bit of a crossroads right now. Uh, there's climate change. There's very much uh, reactive politics happening. And there um, is going to be even more need in society with automation and job losses and moving away from carbon fuels. Um, so um, as weather catastrophes happen, as more people are in poverty. How do we, as nonprofits and fundraisers, play a role in making the world a better place? Okay. Uh, th- thank you for that light question. <laughs> <laughs> I have a small thought around that. Um, I, I think a big piece is uh, collaborating and working together. Uh, I find, you know, I've been in the not-for-profit sector for majority of my career, and it's a very competitive space. We're all after the same dollars. We're all after the same volunteers. And we, I think, often to our detriment, work in these silos and continue, like compete against each other a lot. And so I think as we move forward, and you're seeing it, you know, across different industries and different sectors, I think collaboration is going to be a key role and, and finding those synergies and, and partnering with other organizations who are maybe... Um, you know, do, doing complementary work or even doing something very similar, but I think for our sector as a whole and for the sustainability of all of the great services and the need for likely more services in the future, is we need to work together. We need to find that common ground and we need to, to, to collaborate and we need to view each other as partners instead of competitors. In terms of how you work together and how you collaborate, I want to pick up on something that Mike said and something that Jane said. Um, um, what about me? Uh, I'm trying to stay as far away from that as I can. <laughs> um, for me, if you look at the – and it's a big-picture question, so let me try to give you a big-picture answer. A big-picture question is – so in the, in the NGO sector, there, there are only three issues in the entire sector. One is sustainability. The other is accountability. And the third one, if, if it's addressed, the first two won't exist, and that's leadership. 
So for the past five years, I've been involved in, in putting together a leadership program in Central and Eastern Europe and teaching that program over the last eight years, actually. We're in the fifth year of teaching it. When we teach that program, we look at four things in that program. And that goes, where it goes back. Mike said, know yourself. The first part of a leadership is to know yourself. If you don't know who you are, then you don't know uh, how to lead yourself, as it were. Secondly, in answer to your question, the NGO sector, the only purpose we live, exist here, as, as you heard from James, to build community. That's the only reason any of us exist. We're here to build community and create a better world, which is what you, you just asked about. So then in building community, then we need to know, well, if you're going to build community, what does community need? So the second part of that skill and answer your question is to determine how to, do, how to find out what community needs are. So in the, in the program we teach, and, and it won't become a surprise, we spend one day on, 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 on leadership itself. Second is leadership of community. And it seems to me the United Way has done a better job of that than any other organization in the world in terms of its what's – the, what's, the, what's the program it does? Lone Rep. Thank you. No, it's uh, – um, United Way does a, a – uh, uh, um, does research on an annual basis to, to determine what the community needs are. And I forget what that's you called. You mean like the vital signs? Vital signs. Thanks, oh, Fish. That's, that's, yeah, that's not across all the United Ways, but certain United Ways. all United Ways. A lot of number of United Ways in the country. So the vital signs. So they check with the community to know what the community needs. And then they address those community needs in the following year. So at least they do it. Number three, what they do, what three, what to do is leadership of then your organization. So how do you go about leading your organization? You can't lead your organization unless you know what the community wants. And finally, it's about our profession. The kind of thing that Vincent Duckworth does as well as anybody that I know, and that is provide leadership to your profession. And, and all the things that Petreo is doing is doing an outstanding job of providing leadership and profession by all the outreach that they're doing at no cost to any of us. And, and, and really, really doing an outstanding job of doing that. So it's a four-part answer to your question. Leadership of self, leadership of community and understanding how to find what that is. Then leadership of organization service of that community. And finally then, the final thing is, 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 is leadership of your profession and how we do that, which is all, what this is all about here today. And then ultimately, it is to put together a plan that brings those together. And that's what our five-day program is all about. So Tony, that, did you plant that question? <laughs> That's an awesome answer. Thank you. No. Mike? Um, so that was, that was really cool, Tony. Thanks for showing that. Uh, one of the things that I'm seeing in the world that I think is interesting is there's less and less trust with our institutions. There's less trust with our – like in, in Edmonton, for example, there's less trusted city council than there's ever been. We can't build a bridge. Now, there's less – there's less trust with some of the organizations that are, are trying to organize our worlds. And I think there is – so then people are, people are asking, well, who do we trust? And I think there's a larger role to play in the nonprofit sector to not just raise money, but as Tony said, to, to become that voice of change that we want to see and to start to – understand how we could advocate for that change rather than just take orders from those people who need the money. And to bring that voice to the table as part of the solution. So I'm seeing more and more of that. I know within our organization, we've tried to, to change the conversation with Alberta Health Services from being, what do you need to, you know, we have 100,000 people who give us money every year. And those are parents, those are children, those are corporations and individuals and here's what they're telling us about your health system and our health system what could we do differently that really makes sense rather than you know the experts and not to say that it's not collaborative it is absolutely collaborative but it's a different intentionality about the conversation and I think about things like climate change or I think about things like homelessness or poverty or whatever it happens to be I think Nonprofits have to start to look to say, how can we advocate for something greater than what is status quo? So I, I do see that as the erosion of some of our institutions in terms of their trust happens. And if you look at, if you look at where the changes come from, Mike, if I could pick that yeah, up. Please. If you look at where the changes come from, what's so interesting, it's come from the NGO sector. If you're looking at how the, the, the world has changed, it comes from the NGO sector, those people who are working in a nonprofit. And if you just think back to Mahatma Gandhi, I mean, he wasn't a corporate guy. 
when you when you look back at what, what? At Martin Martin Luther King, he wasn't a corporate guy. When you look at at, at Obama, who who brought in change for good, he wasn't a corporate guy. When you look at Desmond Tutu, he wasn't a corporate guy. So when you look at where the change comes from in the world, it in fact comes from our sector. People who care about other people. People who are trying to build community. So those of us in the room are in the right place to bring about change in the world. And that's a very exciting place to be. And we are so privileged and honored to be able to do that. That's awesome. Do you have a question? Perfect. I was about to invite some. Please. Um, Okay. Um, taking, taking it back to more personal, um, I just want to ask the panel and if possible if I can get specific examples of, you know, sometimes you have plans and you're going and you're working hard and then, you know, something may happen that may derail your plans, shake your confidence. How do you, if you feel comfortable enough to share, if you can share an example of when that happened and how you moved on and and found the courage and maybe changed courses or continued on that course. Thank you. That's a great question. Who wants to start? Mike? Tire fire Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure. Up to dumpster fire. Dumpster fire. fire. (laughs) So first of all, I I ate a lot of Ben and Jerry's. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, you're not. I'm not. (laughs) You know, one of the the biggest things that... uh, that I did that that I I think in hindsight was was really really helpful was I just took a break. Mm-hmm. I took I you know I took a job uh, that paid seven dollars an hour, which I don't think is even a legal thing now. But I took took a job that was seven dollars an hour, and I I took some time for myself to just recalibrate. And it was at that time that I discovered the Sakagi thing, and I started thinking about my values and and. And for six months, I you know like I ate Ichiban noodles and I lived in someone else's couch, uh, but I invested in myself, and it was through that investment in myself, that investment in what was going to make me happy, that all of a sudden, life went from sort of cup half empty to cup half full, and so for me, you know I, I think people and I tell the story like. You know, in one year, I went from earning seven dollars an hour, phoning people at dinner times, asking them what they think about things, as a surveyor. Oh, uh, I thought it was at Ben and Jerry's. No, it wasn't. No, I couldn't get a job there. Uh, to which is a great job, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. But but earning really minimum wage, to uh, uh, being married, a kid on the way, living in the suburbs, and it just transformed once I had a sense of what I wanted to make me happy. But I, I needed time. I needed time to think through it. I needed time to ask for advice, to pull on the strings of, of people who know better than me about where to go. And, and, I, and I talk about it really proudly because I think I'm better for that experience. I think you know it's okay to have your world shaken as long as it's not shaken to the, to the core. Or even if it is and you hit rock bottom, you know, the good news is that it's all up from there. So, uh, you know, I, taking time for yourself to actually think about these things is, is what I would recommend. Thanks, Mike. Who else? Anybody want? I have. T- Go ahead. Jane? No, Jane. Jane? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, it's definitely podcast. agree with, with, with Mike around the t- taking the time out. I think we tend to just feel like we have to bounce back quickly or, or turn things around. I think we also tend to uh, a lot of self-analysis and it's not, that's not, that's helpful in one respect in the sense of kind of reviewing whatever it was that has happened. If it's something that you that you did feel like maybe you had some control over that you think about going forward, how you might uh, do something differently going forward. But certainly it's thinking about going forward and not going backwards so that's really important what I I would do I 
I have done and uh, is uh, definitely is sought sought help and sought um, someone to speak to and not to be uh, someone outside of the whatever the situation. So someone with a without a, a you know an interest in whatever it is that has happened that I that has an objective view uh, to help bounce some of that off and to really talk through whatever it is that's happened because. Um, yeah, so that self-reflection time and taking the time, but you need, for me anyway, I need, a, need to talk to someone. And so figuring out who is a trusted person or group of people that you can engage with who will give you the, the honest feedback but also help you to, to kind of come through that. I, in general, am someone who is a bit of a junkie of... Um, of sort of self self helpy stuff, but by, by that I mean I've found some really really good uh, authors and people that speak to things that really help me to recenter when I'm kind of feeling like I'm veering off. And so you'll see me all the time with my AirPods in listening to something, and when I'm listening to something, it's usually some of that. Sometimes it's soccer, and sometimes it's wine, <laughs> but sometimes it's most of the time it's going to be a Brené. Brown or uh, someone who's going to bring me back to thinking about the fact that you know there are things that are going to take you off course. It's often not about you. It's always about the situation. And there's some really good help in in those kinds of things to just kind of recenter you. Great. Thanks for that, Tony. I'll pass. Really? Yeah. Mark this moment down, <laughs> Jen. I think, yeah, I, my thoughts were really similar to both Mike and, and Jane's and, and finding that external. I'm a talker, too. Um, so I, I go two ways. I find more of that, like, mentory or impartial third-party person to talk to. And then I also call my mom because she's, like, my biggest cheerleader, so she makes me feel really good. And <laughs> it tells you it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, this podcast is coming out two weeks from now, but this weekend, of course, is Mother's Day. So I'm glad you brought up mom. And that's great. I... Um, I'm mindful of the time. There's great questions. I, uh, I always like to end our podcast by giving each of our panelists a moment to tell us something that they want to talk about. They can pitch an event. They can talk about their favorite Ben & Jerry's flavor, whatever works. So, uh, Jane, did you want to maybe uh, – what do you want to leave the audience with today? Um, a couple of things, I guess. I, I think one – I actually want to take the opportunity as someone who's involved with AFP and particularly with the foundation to uh, – Make a plug for that, um, but not a, not necessarily a big plug. Just um, mention it, and I know that many of you in the room are probably um, uh, donors to the AFP Foundation. So a big thank you to all of you that are already involved uh, in that way. Um, we work in an amazing profession, and we um, are very. Um, blessed to have the fact that we also, as a community, give back to each other and support our education and. Um, uh, the programs that AFP provides. So I, I'm, I'm very um, honoured to be very involved with that, and that's something I'm looking forward to in taking potentially a leadership role in that in the future. And uh, I think that's just that's what I've got going on right now. That's well, thanks for sharing that, Jane. For those who, Jane's being too modest, she's the <laughs> chair elect for the AFP Canada Foundation um, for philanthropy. Hopefully. So we're really excited to have her take on that role. Thanks, Jane. Tony, what do you want the audience to hear or take away from today? I, I, thanks, Vinny. I would uh, just uh, want to uh, reiterate, I guess, what I said earlier is follow your heart. Number two is never lose an opportunity to continue to learn. Um, three would be to uh, find, a, find a mentor, and that mentor doesn't need to be younger or older. It doesn't need to be older but can be younger. But find a mentor and in some cases find an, many mentors. One of the most interesting talks I heard was a guy who continually operated with three mentors in his life. And, um, so find a mentor. Um, be involved in, in your profession uh, as much as you can. It's that where we develop relationships and where we learn and we grow. So get involved in your profession. Um, and, and, uh, and, and never give up. F never give up. Pursue your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Okay. For those of you with three hearts, it's awesome. Mike? Um, yeah, so I just actually wanted to provide one last piece of advice to my 20-year-old self, if that's all right. Um, and that has to do with, uh, with 
Uh, my, my dad used to say to me, you know, when you leave this world, there's only one thing you, you, you get to take with you, and that's your reputation. And your reputation is built upon the relationships you make. And so, you know, it's funny, we're in this panel, we've known each other a really long time, but if you think about it, when we first met each other, we didn't know we were going to be on this panel, but we clearly felt it was important to build those relationships. And our business is about relationships. So dive deep into the relationships you have. If you're sitting next to somebody and you don't know them very well, just say hi one more time before you leave today. Or if you meet somebody, just take the time, for example, take the time to look at the color of their eyes. That connection that you just made with that person is deeper than most people do in a lifetime. Relationships are key. Your reputation is golden. Focus on that. You'll be fine. Thanks, Mike. That was beautiful. Jen, you get the last word today. Well, almost the last word. I get the last word. <laughs> All about really. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write that down? Oh, I'm sorry. Did he steal it from you? He stole it, Mike. Um, so sorry, no, John. that's okay. I'll forgive you this time. Um, I, I agree, though. Like it is all about relationships. And then I guess the only other thing to add is um, figure out what you're passionate about. I think that's a, a really big piece. Um, when I think back to early on in my career, uh, where I excelled the most was when I worked for organizations that I was extremely passionate about. Um, because it is all about relationships, but you also need to. Be invested in what you're doing, and if you don't have passion, you're you're not going to excel, and you're not going to be authentic, and people are going to see right through you. Um, and just be willing to take a risk, because as the one sign up in downtown Edmonton says, "Take a risk." It's the most Edmonton thing to do. That's totally. awesome. Well, thank you all for for joining us on this panel. Thank you all for coming today, for being part of our second annual. I think it was uh, for me, it was a lot of fun just sitting and listening to you folks uh, talk and great questions. And with that, our gift of another Brain Trust philanthropy powered by Vitreo has been committed. Thanks. Good job. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us next month when we will be continuing this very same topic as part two of Life and Career Hacks. What would I tell my 20-year-old fundraising self if I could go back in time? Joining us will be Leah Eustace, Bob Carter, and Brian Bowman. Until then, take care of yourselves, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.